You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, been an interesting news development today. Uh, the Pentagon is finally showing some guts, and they are bucking the President of the United States. And we are going to charge uh, one of the President's pet projects, Bo Bergdahl, uh, with desertion. Now, if you'll recall, Bo Bergdahl was a member of the military, and he deserted while in Afghanistan and joined the Taliban. He was with them for five years until the president did a prisoner swap uh, that turned loose five top Taliban leaders. <clears throat> now, you know, supposedly we have this policy of not negotiating with terrorists, but when uh, Obama doesn't consider the Taliban to be terrorists, they said this after it happened, just like now, he doesn't consider Iran to be a terrorist-supporting country. Israel, he does consider to be terrorist-supporting, apparently, according to everything he's been saying and his administration has been saying. He also has decided that Hamas is not a terrorist organization. And apparently neither is Hezbollah. So the President of the United States looked at this situation and found a way to turn loose five top Taliban leaders and to try to make himself look good while he was doing it. And of course, the way he thought he would look good was get back to this U.S. Army Desert, who at that point probably had decided being a member of the Taliban was not that much fun after all. So he comes back, and he is put back on active duty. He is paid all of his back military pay. And in the meantime, the members of his unit over there are aghast, because not only did he desert and go over to the Taliban, but before they knew he had deserted, they thought he had been captured by the Taliban, and, and the members of his unit went out looking for him. And they walked into an ambush. Now, isn't that interesting, an ambush? Bergdahl may very well have set up, helped set up that ambush. Members of his unit, they all along after that said that he was a deserter and that he should be treated as such. Now, the penalty for desertion, it used to be the death penalty, but now I understand it's just life imprisonment. But he should get all of that. In the meantime, the five Taliban leaders that were released, remember the president assured us that they would, would be kept in custody in another country, Qatar, and never be, be back in battle. Well, all five of them have now been released by Qatar. All five of them are back with the Taliban. They're all five of them are, are trying to orchestrate the killing of American soldiers and the killing of Afghan soldiers and virtually anybody else that disagrees with, with the Muslim Sharia law. So let's do the bath here. Let's look at what we've got out there. We've got Al-Qaeda. We've got the Taliban. We've got Boko Haram. We've got ISIS. We got one terrorist organization after another springing up or re-strengthening. All of this after the President of the United States assured us when he was running for re-election that Al Qaeda was dead, that we had won the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and that we were going to pull our troops out, and that everything was going to be hunky dory, that there was going to be a new wave of democracy in the Middle East, and. Dictators like Gaddafi were going to be overthrown, and they were going to be replaced by, by dic- not dictatorships, but by democracy. 
Well, we know how well that's worked, and we know what happened to Benghazi and how Americans died because of this policy. And we still don't really know all the details about what happened in Benghazi. One of the strangest things about that is we still don't know where the President of the United States was. I mean, this was a 12-hour event that they were looking at in real time via satellites monitoring what was going on. And they were hearing in real time from the people on the ground, the people who were trapped by terrorists. They knew from the beginning that it was a terrorist attack. Somebody made a decision, and it was a decision that should only come from the White House, to order a stand-down of Americans who were in a position to try to save the ambassador, Chris Stevens, and save the other three people that were ultimately killed. We had people in Tripoli. We had a security team. It was only four men because Hillary Clinton had cut it from 14 to 4, while at the same time that Chris Stevens is begging for more security, Hillary Clinton decides to cut his team down. But it was still four men. Heavily armed, four members of the U.S. military, at Tripoli, with a plane ready to take them to Benghazi. They were told to stand down. CIA operatives were told to stand down. Marines, a few hours away, were told to stand down. Now, where did this stand-down order come from? Should have come from the President of the United States. He would be the only one to have authority here. But I keep hearing persistent rumors, and hopefully this will eventually come out. Craig Gowdy and his his House committee start getting to the facts here. I have heard that the order to stand down came from Valerie Jarrett. Now, ladies and gentlemen, Valerie Jarrett is a communist. Everything that she's ever done has been to support communism. Everything that she's ever said, everything that she's written, has been in support of communism. Yet she is apparently the chief advisor to the President of the United States, and has been ever since he took office. She doesn't have a cabinet position, so she didn't have to be confirmed by the Senate, so nothing could really come out about her in Senate hearings. Yet this woman apparently made a decision that cost American lives, or was told by the president to make the decision. Either way, where was the president? Was he asleep? Was he playing golf? Was he off partying somewhere? Maybe smoking a little dope? We don't know. This was a major attack because of the attack on our ambassador and our consulate in Libya. Yet we don't know where the President of the United States was during the attack. We don't know completely what happened. We do know that after the attack took place, for weeks, the President kept saying that it was not a terrorist attack. Because remember, this was just before the election. This was September 11th before the election in 2012. He was running for re-election. He was putting out the scenario that terrorism had been defeated, that he was successful at doing this, 
and that was part of his reelection campaign. So he didn't want people to know that we had just lost a U.S. ambassador and three other men, brave men, to a terrorist attack. So he denied that it was terrorism, even though we now know that the Secretary of Defense called it a terrorist attack while it was happening. Members of the Pentagon called it a terrorist attack. Everybody knew it was a terrorist attack. But he had President Susan Rice go make the talk shows on the following Sunday. Oh, no, this was not a terrorist attack. This was a reaction, a spontaneous reaction to a movie vilifying the Muslim religion. Now, this movie on, on YouTube was uh, poorly made, but was used to incite radicals, to incite the jihadists, like they need anything to incite them. But in fact, we could tell from the very beginning that while there were riots going on in Cairo, in front of the U.S. Embassy, or demonstrations, whatever you want to call them, and going on in some other places, that this, what happened in Benghazi, was a carefully planned out and orchestrated terrorist attack using sophisticated weapons, automatic weapons, grenade launchers, rocket launchers, going after American citizens on American soil because our foreign consulates in countries around the world and our embassies, that area is considered sovereign soil of the country that has an embassy or consulate on there. So we have an attack on Americans going on, and the President of the United States is nowhere to be found and keeps denying that it was, in fact, a terrorist attack. Then they put put the lid on everything. Where are the people who were on the ground that night that survived? There were between 30 and 60 other people there in and around the consulate. Virtually none of them have been allowed to talk to the press or talk to Congress. They are in hiding. They're being kept undercover. This is two years later, and we still have not been able to talk to and hear from people who were there. So what's that all about? Well, it's part of the cover-up. Remember the President of the United States finally decided it was a terrorist attack according to him when he heard about it on the news. Remember the IRS scandal? The President didn't know anything about it until he heard about it on the news. Remember Operation Fast and Furious? The President didn't know anything about it until he heard about it on the news. One scandal after another. The President doesn't know anything about it until he hears about it on the news. He didn't know anything about Hillary Clinton's emails and her special provider, her server, that she set up for, for her own accounts in violation of the federal laws pertaining to open government and the government archives having to maintain a history of what goes on, including copies of emails. But our president, he didn't know anything about that. Clear about the news. Don't you just love that same litany over and over again? Who, me? I don't know anything. Well, that puts us in a position of having the president of the United States, who is a psychopathic liar, or a president of the United States who is totally inept 
a total loser who doesn't know what's going on in his own administration. I think we have a combination of the two, and that's particularly scary. I think the president is a pathological liar, and I think for the most part he knows exactly what he's doing. He's trying to destroy the United States of America. That's why he became president, to destroy us, to destroy our former government, our constitutional system. And he's working every way he can to do that. By the same token, he's trying to hide in this never-never land that he doesn't really know anything that's going on. But all of this is just a, a pure, unadulterated accident, and he's not at fault for anything. And he doesn't take his... He accepts no responsibility for anything his administration does. He doesn't accept any responsibility for the people he appoints, like Hillary Clinton. I mean, let's face it, Hillary Clinton is becoming a liability to the Democratic Party. Hopefully she'll stay that way. We do not want Hillary Clinton as president because she would just continue everything that Obama's done. Hillary Clinton also doesn't believe in this country and would love to see this country destroyed. And we'll take our first break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Another development that's come up today that, <clears throat> that I find frightening and interesting, to say the least, but also very frightening, is the dean at Cornell University. I'm talking to somebody from the O'Keefe Group who does the undercover videos and does uh, such a good job of, of exposing places like Planned Parenthood and their push to uh, 
get abortions for minors and this sort of thing. He went in and talked to the dean of Cornell University, one of our premier Ivy League schools, and pretended he wanted to open a chapter of ISIS at Cornell University, a chapter of ISIS that would could possibly train terrorists, but at least could push for the terrorist cause. The dean of Cornell had no problem with that. He even released a statement when he was faced with what, with what he had agreed to, that they have an open policy. They want to have diversity. Is that the new liberal definition of diversity? That diversity has to include terrorists? That to be politically correct, we have to allow terrorists to train on our college campuses? The PC movement has been out of hand for a long time, but under the Obama administration, it's just getting worse and worse. The terrorism, we are open to terrorism right now. We have not had any recent attacks in the United States, although we've had a couple that were attempted, or about to be attempted, that were thwarted. One of the reasons, possibly, that uh, ISIS is not attacked, because we know they're here, we know they got cells here. One reason they may not have attacked is right now they have a president of the United States who is with the Muslims. Who is standing with radical Islam? Who is standing with the jihadists? Sure, he pays lip service to going after ISIS, but how are we actually going after ISIS? Well, ISIS is now, or other radical groups associated with ISIS, because they've all joined together basically right now. They now control a large portion of Iraq. They control Libya. They control Yemen, and they control a large portion of Syria. And they're setting their sights on Saudi Arabia. And we have launched an air campaign to support the Iraqi troops and the Kurdish fighters and others, including Shiite militia that are supported by Iran and are operating in Iraq. We're supporting them with airstrikes. But as I said before on this show, if you're going to have an air campaign that's going to be successful, and first of all, it cannot be totally successful. You can't rely entirely on an air campaign to defeat an enemy, particularly a terrorist enemy. You have to have boots on the ground. The Iraqis and Kurds are willing to be those boots on the ground. Unfortunately, the Kurds are waiting for the weapons and ammunition that the Obama administration has been promising to them for months. He said he was going to deliver. He said he was going to help them, and they're all right now holding their ground with limited supplies and limited ammunition, going, where is this help sending us? Well, it's like any other promise of Obama. You have to listen to him and believe on the premise that this is going to be a lie. That it's not what he's actually planning to do. But back to the air campaign. If you're going to be successful in supporting ground troops through the year, and attacking targets in Syria and Iraq, 
attacking ISIS targets, you have to fly at least 240 sorties a day, is what the estimate is. That's 240 airstrikes a day. So what are we actually doing? The average is 24 a day. Some days there are none. Some days there are one or two. So we're not serious about this. And Obama has decided that he will choose choose the targets. It's not being left up to our military. Obama has never served in the military, has made it clear that he despises the United States military, yet the man is choosing the targets. And from what I'm hearing, the targets, a lot of them consist of empty pickup trucks, of empty buildings that are hit at night, buildings that have no real strategic value or tactical value. He doesn't want to hurt the jihadist. He does not want to hurt the jihadist. So ISIS is being allowed to basically do what it wants, these countries, with the United States not really offering resistance. In the meantime, on our southern border, we know that ISIS has been in Juarez, Mexico, right across our border from Texas. We know that there are probably cells of ISIS inside this country, as we know there are cells of al-Qaeda. We have a border that's totally open. Our Border Patrol agents are told they cannot arrest people that are in groups of 20 or more. We can't detain them. Now, what's the purpose behind that? It would seem that if you want to stop people from coming to our country illegally, you would go after the large groups. But our Border Patrol has been told, no, don't even report groups of more than 20. Keep it all very secret. In the meantime, Obama's given amnesty to millions of illegals. He's encouraging them to join the military to replace our good soldiers, sailors, marines, and airmen that have been fired by the Obama administration or forced out or finally got so discouraged by what the administration is doing that they they just said, we've had enough, we're not going to do this anymore. The Border Patrol last year alone released about 38,000 convicted criminals. We're talking about the convicted criminals who were here illegally, were found guilty of crimes, in some cases murder, rape, child molestation. They were guilty of crimes. And the law requires that they serve their prison sentence, and then upon completion of their, their sentence, get immediately deported to their country of origin. Obama's not allowing that to happen. He's turning loose on our streets convicted criminals from other countries. He's on our border gang members to come in and to operate openly. Violent gangs, drug gangs, drug cartels, they're all coming across our border. 
along our border that are not even patrolled. And some of this has been going on ever since Obama took office. There is a big chunk of federal land in Arizona. It's on the, the southern part of it is right on the Mexican border. The northern part of it is on, on a major interstate, U.S. interstate. And Obama, right after he took office, ordered the Border Patrol not to patrol that area and told local police and sheriff's offices they couldn't patrol the area. So some people went out there and set up video cameras at night, and you could see convoys of pickup trucks loaded with illegals, loaded with bales of marijuana, and who knows what else they might have been carrying the way of weapons, coming into the United States, going directly across this land up to the interstate, where they were met by other vehicles that took the illegals and the drugs and the, possibly the weapons all over the country. This had been going on for six years, and Obama's just making it worse. Border Patrol agents report that they have people coming across the border with recognizable gang tattoos on their arms or their face or their neck, people who brag about killing, murdering people in their own home country. And the Border Patrol agents say that they have been ordered not to detain these people, not to deport these people, to let these people go anywhere they want in the United States, and to pay for them to go there. So we got potential terrorists coming in, and I'm afraid we're, we're facing some severe attacks here. But how are these attacks going to be orchestrated, and what are they going to mean? Well, here's my, my concern, and, you know, you call me a conspiracy theorist if you want. My concern is that the, the attacks are not being done right off the, the bat because ISIS knows it has open borders. It can bring more people in. It can bring in possible nuclear weapons. And they know that right now they have the, the Obama administration that is not really going to do anything to deter terrorism in this country, which means they've already won a victory. They've already got the capitulation of the President of the United States. When an attack does occur, the question is, who will be blamed? Will ISIS or al-Qaeda announce that they were behind the attack? That an outcry and retaliation by the United States, hopefully, even with the President coming there. But suppose they, the attack is, we're told by the Obama administration and by left-leaning news media, like has happened before, that, oh, no, this wasn't jihadists, this was Tea Party members, or well, this was right-wingers. These are the people that, that conducted this terrorist attack. Those are the same people who fly the Gadsden flag, the same people who belong to the National Rifle Association or to the Tea Party. I'm afraid we're being set up for that kind of scenario. It doesn't matter to them if the majority of the American people know it's not true. And I will be totally suspicious of that. Yes, there are right-wing crazies out there that might uh, do something stupid. But they're not as well organized as al-Qaeda. They're not as well organized as ISIS. 
they're not going to be in a position to launch a major attack, and I can't see why most of them would. Most of them, frankly, are not that smart when it comes to the far right and the neo-Nazis and, and groups like that. So I'm afraid we're possibly being set up. Either way, innocent Americans, are, I'm afraid, are going to die. We're going to die because we have a president of the United States who is going to allow that to happen. Let's take another break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, it's very scary, but another thing ISIS has done is uh, put out a target list, a hit list, if you will, of 100 American soldiers living here in the United States, 100 American soldiers and their families. They've given addresses, in some, in some cases wrong addresses, because they apparently just research this on the internet or through phone books or something. But they put out a hit list. And they've told they want lone wolf attackers here in this country. <clears throat> and we know that ISIS is recruiting from our country. We know that there are people from this country right now fighting with ISIS in Syria or in Iraq. There have been people stopped from going over there to do just that. So American servicemen and their families are being targeted. And not just targeted for murder, targeted for brutal murders, beheadings. Members of our military are basically disarmed in American military bases. Thanks to Bill Clinton, we had the Fort Hood massacre. Bill Clinton decided that as part of gun control, 
to keep Americans safe, that the military, when they're on American bases, on American soil, could not be armed with the exception of the MPs. That's why Madal Hassan was able to kill 13 American soldiers and wound 32 more before anybody was there that could shoot him down. He was able to do that because the Clinton administration passed this, adopted this ban on private on weapons being carried by soldiers on American military installations. Now, I hope the ban doesn't extend to soldiers and their private weapons that they might keep in their homes. But it may extend to it. I just don't know. It's something I need to research. Or if you know the answer out there, email me and let me know if that's the situation, if they live on base. If they live off base, I don't think the military has any control over what they have in their home. But if they live in base housing, the military could very well be saying you can't have weapons there either. So who is going to protect these families? Who is going to keep ISIS from killing them? Well, obviously the President of the United States could care less. As far as he's concerned, the real threat in this country is not ISIS, is not Al-Qaeda, is not lone wolf terrorism. The biggest threat here in this country is those of us who are legitimate gun owners, those of us who have firearms. We are the threat. We are who he's coming after. Let's face it, Department of Homeland Security has at the top of its list of potential domestic terrorists has military veterans, U.S. military veterans. Not individuals who may have been, been radical, not people like Bo Bergdahl who deserted. We're talking about military veterans who are on the top of the list of Department of Homeland Security simply because they are veterans and also because they probably own firearms. But also on that list are, are people that support the Second Amendment meaning you're on the list even if you don't own a firearm. If you just support other people's right to keep and bear arms, you can go on the, the hit list of the Department of Homeland Security. If you support the right to life, if you support traditional marriage between a man and a woman, then you may be on the list of potential domestic terrorists. Obama has repeatedly said that and just recently made the comment that uh, he doesn't mind breaking laws. He's going to continue to break laws to push his agenda. One of the things on his agenda, one of the major things, is to disarm the American people, beginning with the veterans. I've talked repeatedly here about on this show about what's going on with the veterans. I have a meeting tomorrow with a veteran. Uh, we're working on his case right now. Because this man was declared incompetent. Well, first of all, it took him six years to get any help from the VA at all, even though he had had a severe back injury years ago in the military. It took six years to get any help. Then when they finally approved him for benefits, it took two years to get an appointment to see a doctor. And then when he sees a doctor, or what he thinks is a doctor, one of his doctors, so-called doctors, asked him questions. And one of the questions was, do you own a firearm? 
well, let's send red flags up with this guy. But then the doctor ultimately has the man declared incompetent to handle his own financial on the specific grounds that he lets the bank pay all of his bills automatically out of his checking account. This, according to the VA, renders him incompetent to handle his own financial affairs. And once the VA renders you incompetent to handle your own financial affairs, you can no longer own, possess, transport, or purchase firearms or ammunition. If you do, you're guilty of a felony. I put these two together. Veterans are being declared incompetent because they have minor PTSD, because they may have been depressed at some point or lost a buddy in combat, because they let their spouses pay the family bills, because they have the bills paid automatically out of a checking account, declared incompetent, and told they cannot own firearms. No due process here. They have 60 days, or sometimes as little as five days, depending on who's sending the letter to them, which is the VA, sometimes independent contractors for the Department of Defense. They're getting information sent to them that says, basically, we're going to declare you incompetent because of your physical or mental disabilities. A lot of times it doesn't even say why they're being declared incompetent. Could they lost an arm or a leg in combat. The government's not required to because it's required by due process in the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution. The veterans are being required to prove they are competent. Decision is made, better saying, we don't care what you have to say, you're still competent. You're just run. try to purchase a firearm, uh, they can't do it. Not legally. If the veteran then can appeal from the decision, but some veterans are being told that if you appeal the decision, we're going to suspend the payment of your benefits. So you can't put food on the table for your families for the next two years. Because that's about how long an appeal takes. Although we're working to expedite those appeals at this point. Then, if they do successfully win and get the ruling of incompetency reversed, the FBI is telling them, we don't care. You stay on the next list. We know several veterans that this has happened to. So Obama's making his move been ever since he took office to disarm the American veterans. There are 23 million of us. At the federal of office to protect and defend the Constitution and states against all enemies foreign and domestic, as did my all my sons, as did my father. I've written a book about his unit during World War II called The Mortarman, which has become a big seller, particularly on Amazon as an e-book, and in other places, Barnes and Noble as an e-book. A lot of people are reading this book, and a lot of people are the need to know more about what our during World War II. Because my dad's unit landed in the second wave at Utah Beach on D-Day, and they were in combat for 326 straight days. It's quite a story. Like I said, you can find it on my website at 
www.michaelconnellycoynnelloy.jigsy.com. I was in the military, my sons were in the military, and my father was in the military. We go all the way back to the Revolutionary War with Connellys in the military. Veterans have never been really well treated in this country. After the wars are over, basically, most people just want to forget everything. And they forget about our veterans. But it hasn't never been as horrible as it is right now when our veterans are being actively targeted. There are 23 million of us out there. We all took that same oath of office. We all fight for our country. We all believe in our country. We all have been trained to use firearms. So the Obama administration has to disarm us. That's the way Adolf Hitler played it when he became Chancellor of Germany. First thing Adolf Hitler did was to nationalize the entire health care system. The idea being, if I can control access to health care, I can control the population. Second thing he did was begin disarming the German people, starting with the veterans. They are being so successful. Right now there's about 200,000 veterans, I think, on the next list, and more being added every day. They're being so successful at this, because the mainstream news media is ignoring it. There was bills introduced in Congress last year, the year before, that went nowhere. There's now a current bill in in the House of Representatives. The problem is it does not really address the problem of what's happening to the veterans. There's not a stop, stop for example, the lack of due process. But they're being so successful at this that the Obama administration, he's now going to, with the stroke of his pen, get the ATF to ban certain types of ammo. Now, I remember this came up a couple weeks ago. I talked about it on the show. I encourage people to contact their members of Congress. And there was an outcry from Congress, and the ATF all of a sudden backed off and said, no, we're not going to ban the 223 ammunition, which is the primary ammunition used in the AR-15 rifle. And the AR-15 rifle is a very popular rifle, semi-automatic rifle that people use for hunting and for home defense. The ATF backed off and said, no, we're not going to ban that ammunition. The Democrats in the Senate and the House started yelling, raising cane, saying, you have to ban that ammunition. So now the ATF is reconsidering. But guess what, folks? They're not just considering that ammunition. They're going after all the ammunition. How many of you out there own 22 rifles or pistols? And how long has it been since you could find any ammunition for those weapons? Many places have been out of that type of ammunition for months. You just can't find it. A lot of ammunition has been bought up by the federal government. I mean, the Social Security Administration bought 24,000 rounds of ammunition. For what? Nobody at the Social Security Administration is supposed to be armed. Except security guards, and they work for private contractors. Anyway, let's take our final break now. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. 
Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So the President of the United States is going after the Second Amendment, going after our weapons, and he's doing it big time. He's beginning with the veterans. He's been being fairly successful at that. Uh, despite the efforts by the United States Justice Foundation to fight, we're standing alone pretty much. The national veterans organizations either don't believe this is actually happening, despite the fact that we can provide them with proof. We can provide them with copies of the letters that veterans are receiving from the VA. We can provide them with veterans who will talk to them. But the national organizations, for the most part, seem to be afraid of getting involved in this because they're they're chartered by the federal government. So veterans are pretty much on their own, except for the United States Justice Foundation. We represent these veterans for free. We do not charge them anything. We get our donations independently. That's why we need your help. Go to usjf.net. That's usjf.net for the United States Justice Foundation. And there you can find a mailing address where you can send money to us to help Let's fight this and other fights, or you can go online and do it by credit card. The we have an address. Our main headquarters in California. I also operate out of I operate out of Texas. Executive director, and you can contact me through my emails at, or my email address at Michael at USJF Mail. Michael at usjfmail.net. Excuse me. And if you're a veteran, if you want to support the veterans, if you're a lawyer out there that would like to donate some time, please contact me, Michael at usjfmail.net. We've got this fight going on every front. We have filed lawsuits against the VA to get them to respond to Freedom of Information Act requests. Uh, one of those has been successful. Uh, we have preparing lawsuits against other federal agencies. 
We want to do a major lawsuit on behalf of a, some veterans. We're just waiting to exhaust our administrative remedies at this point to, for one veteran in particular uh, here in Texas, and then we're going to be filing a lawsuit there. So if you're a Texas lawyer, particularly in the North Texas area, let me know if you would like to help. We can't pay a whole lot, but we will be able to pay some. And we usually the lawyers we work with donate some time every month, a few hours, and then we, we pay them at a reduced rate for other time. But we need the help. These veterans are suffering. And they're suffering because the government is out to disarm the American people. We're going to see more executive orders going after our weapons. The One of the things I've talked about on the show before that is particularly worrisome to me is that Obama administration had John Kerry sign the U.N. Small Arms Treaty. Now, we were told by both Obama and Kerry that no registration of guns was required in the United States. That was not part of the treaty. Ladies and gentlemen, I read the treaty. I read the original draft. I read the final draft. And I said from the beginning that, yes, it did require gun owners in this country to be registered and their names to be turned and addresses to be turned over to the United Nations. That's still a requirement. Obama wants to fulfill that requirement. Normally, he would have a problem, a major problem. The Constitution of the United States requires that before any treaty can be enforced in this country, he would have signed by the president, or in this case by John Kerry, his representative. Before any treaty can be enforced, it must be adopted and ratified by two-thirds of the members of the Senate. There's no way that in this Senate Obama's going to get two-thirds. So what he's doing is he's not submitting this to the Senate. The White House has basically been saying, and I, I saw this coming months ago, because um, several other treaties, are, he's not going to submit to the Senate. He's basically saying that the president can start enforcing the treaty. And the only way Congress can stop it is for two-thirds of the Senate to vote against him, to vote to stop it. That's not what the Constitution says. That is the reverse of what the Constitution says. Also, the President of the United States is prohibited from spending any money. In fact, the entire federal government is prohibited from it by an act of Congress from spending any money on firearms registration in this country. The President is going to just ignore that, just like he ignores the Constitution. Most of you, whether you know it or not, have probably already are already registered on a registry of firearms owners. If you have, in the last six years, purchased a weapon legally in this country, and I mean going to a gun store or fill out the form and been approved for purchase, then I can almost guarantee you that your name and address and other vital information is on the list people who own firearms in this country, a list that the federal government says cannot be maintained. The law requires that once that form is filled out, it must 
be destroyed after 48, within 48 hours. It must be destroyed, the original be destroyed by the licensed firearm dealer. And no record is supposed to be kept to it for, of it for the application after the FBI gets it and clears the person. Guess what? Obama has not been allowing that to be done. The records are not being destroyed. So he's going to start enforcing the Small Arms Treaty. He's going to turn your name and your address and your phone number over to the United Nations. I guess it's going to be in conjunction with the, the latest thing, uh, the destruction by the banks of the credit of gun dealers. That's something the Obama administration is putting out small businesses, gun dealers, by having pressuring the banks to refuse to grant them credit or even allow them to have a bank account or allow credit cards. And they're being successful. The banks are caving. So in, every time something like this has happened, nobody objects or nobody makes a stand like the banks. Obama gets emboldened. So now he's got the Department of Justice telling banks that they have to begin reporting anybody who makes a $5,000 cash withdrawal from their account. And in some cases, anybody who spends $5,000 on something out of their account. That has to be reported to the local police authorities. Not just to the federal government, but to the local police. So in other words, it's fake. But if you want to spend it, you can end up the police come. But if you want to buy a used car, you pull out $5,000 out of your bank account. You want to pay in cash. Next thing you know, the cops are coming to your door. They already, federal and state authorities have already too much authority to steal things, and that's the only way I know how to put it, to steal things from the American people. By taking, even if you're not charged with a crime, by taking your assets, by, by asset confiscation programs. And this has been going on for years, and how Obama's going to expand that. Got our hands full, ladies and gentlemen. Just listen. I encourage other people to listen to it. Visit the website and blog at Michael Connolly, C O N E L L Y dot Jigsy dot com. There you can read the articles, sign up to send me an email and sign to have me email you every time that I post a new article on the blog to you a couple of times a month. And your email addresses are confidential. I don't share them with anybody else, and I don't do forwards. You're not going to be inundated with a bunch of junk. You can also, while you're there, look at the books I've written. Uh, one of my most popular ones is The Mortarman, about my father's entered during World War II. You can order the, a copy of any of my books through the website, and, or you can order them, get them at uh, Barnes & Noble, or Amazon, or virtually any place that sells. The exception being my little booklet on the Constitution. That you can only order at this point through my website, although we're in the process of trying to get it put on as an e-book for the time being. It's a 77-page booklet called Our Constitution. 
where I take each article, each section, each amendment of the Constitution, put them in the way they were originally written, and put them in our comments about what they really mean. A lot of these books are being ordered to be given out to schools, uh, to children, for them to read. But a lot of people are just ordering them to carry them around themselves. Uh, you can order one online for $6, and you can order it through my website, or you can order it through www.constitution.jigsy.com. Also, you can read them on the websites about my other books, including Amigali, A Story of America, which is a uh, patriotic novel that the left hates, and Riders in the Sky, The Ghosts and Legends of Philmont Scout Ranch, which is a ghost book of ghost stories about the, the Philmont Scout Ranch that the kids love. And then there's America's Liveliest Ghost. So anyway, visit my website, go to usjf.net, uh, contribute to the United States Justice Foundation. I look forward to talking to you again next week.